Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is time for Tech 37. My name is Rob Boyd. So glad to have you joining us. We've got another exciting topic for you today. As you, those of you that are joining us live are probably fully aware that you're joining us to talk about cyber resilience, a term that I wasn't entirely familiar with, despite having worked in security in the past anyway. Uh, but it's obviously, it's been around a while, but it's also surrounded by a lot of misinformation, misunderstanding perhaps, yet there is a ton of value when you understand exactly what cyber resilience could mean for your organization and at least your way of thinking at the bare minimum. I guarantee you're going to walk away from this one with a bunch of new ideas, new concerns perhaps that you need to address. Uh, either way, we've got a good time. We've got some smart people here. We'll introduce them in just a moment. Uh, but this is Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration. And today's show is brought to you by Cohesity. So I want to thank Cohesity. We're not talking vendors today, but they graciously agreed to sponsor this episode. They are a key player in this space, and so they're worth consideration. But other than that, we're going to talk strategy. We're going to talk what you can do next and make sure that you are well-armed to take on cyber resilience. So with that, let's meet our experts. All right. Well, hello, experts. Chris, Dominic, uh, Richard, I'm looking right at your name, and I'm still pausing for a moment. Uh, that's just how quick my brain is. Uh, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And, uh, boy, I've been impressed with uh, everything, uh, the road that you guys have been down on, multiple roads, if you will. But let's make sure everybody understands where you come from and why you're on this particular show with this particular topic. I'll just start right above me here with Chris. Uh, Chris, I'll let you lead off. What, what do you do for Worldwide? Sure. Thanks for that. Great to be here. So Chris Conrad, Senior Director of Security for our global accounts. I've been at Worldwide now for coming up on seven years. I've been in the cyber industry, if you will, for coming up on 23. And I have overall responsibility for our go-to-market strategy in our large global accounts. And then just real quick, Chris, I, I've read a couple of different things that you've published uh, I always have a lot of respect for anybody that can actually get to the point of hitting the publish button. That's not so simple, even if it looks simple. Um, but you, you have a background with InfraGuard. You are well involved in a lot of different um, security organizations. You tend to live and breathe this even in your off hours, it feels like. Is that a fair, fair statement? That's very fair. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And a focus in the financial space, you're not going to, you're not going to find uh, too many people more worried about security and the implications thereof. Uh, so I'm sure they keep you busy as well. No doubt just, about it. So. Yeah, excellent. Uh, going around the horn here, Dominic, uh, what do you do for Worldwide? Sure. Hello, everybody. Uh, Dominic Greco. I work on our global engineering team, and I uh, focus on data protection slash backup and recovery. So I work with all our customers, big and small, around you know understanding their current state and architecting backup solutions. Excellent. And then the gentleman whose name I keep forgetting, even though it's written right in front of my face, I think it's because you you cleaned up quite a bit since the last time I saw you, Richard. So it just keeps throwing me off. But um, uh, can you share a little bit about your background and what you're currently doing with Worldwide? Sure. So I am a senior systems engineer. So I am one of the engineers that directly supports our customers. Um, you know, my patch is really kind of the oil and gas super majors and uh, kind of everybody in between, you know, helping support Chris and, and Dominic on, on efforts and kind of you know, driving it from the field. Well, let me ask you a question because actually both of these gentlemen and a few others have all pointed towards work that you've done with your customers and a lot of other customers in this space because the term is cyber resilience really 
you know, at first glance to the uninitiated, it might come across as a fluffy way to try and make security sound different. Um, and security is an element, but I wonder if you could define in the way that has resonated with, with everyone that you've been working with, how would you define cyber resilience? What's important to understand? So what, what cyber resiliency really is, is looking at that worst case scenario, looking at that you know, catastrophic event. You know, we've always prepared from a, a data center focus on you know, natural disasters, hardware outages, power outages, you know, uh, physical issues. Well, in the, the past you know, four to five years, what we started to see were a new threat you know, really started to emerge. And for the first time, I think, you know, Chris can speak to this as well. It started to push the realm that you know, Dominic covers directly and the realm that Chris covers directly together, where you know, no longer was business continuity or DR you know, enough to recover from this threat. No longer was you know, the backup technology that we've used for many, many years or the concepts that we've used for many years enough to recover from this threat, right? So what we started to see was this new emergence of you know, the need for something to address you know, how do you protect this data? Uh -huh. And when we talk about data protection and we talk about cyber resiliency, we have to look at it from two different lenses, right? We have to look at it from the perspective of, you know, how do I physically or logically protect this from a, a backup perspective? How do I keep the integrity of it and, you know, make sure it's, good and usable and it doesn't get malware or doesn't get encrypted. And then we have to look at it from the security perspective of you know, how do I protect that data? How do I you know, make sure that it's not leaving the premise? How do I make sure you know, I have the right data and it's got the right tags on it? So when you look at cyber resilience, what we're really doing is looking at you know, how do you recover from and make it through a large targeted catastrophic attack? If it's your worst nightmare come to life, how do you survive that you know, as a company and then ultimately recover? So I, so I was thinking, you know, and so I want you to correct me if I've got it wrong, because you're mentioning, and it felt like, unless I missed some part in there, about a specific threat that you were, that this was kind of growing up in response to. Did you name that threat or is that, was that purposely left out? I mean, we're talking ransomware, yeah, so we're talking any threat to the business or the data, right? We're, we're really targeting, you know, malware and ransomware, right? Okay. It is okay. the threat of either data deletion or data encryption or data corruption you know, through a malicious intent, right? And when we first started to see these you know, new types of attack kind of come up on the rise, ransomware was the big one, right? It was financially motivated. You had a lot of players in the space that were trying to make kind of easy money. I have your data, give me money, I'll give you the key. Well, when we got, you know, as it kind of evolved as time went on, we started to see things where they were encrypting your data because they wanted to make a political statement. We started to see it you know, no longer become about a quick payday and become around, you know, we don't like this company, so we're gonna encrypt it and that's it, right? So when you really look at that, the next logical place you start to think about is, you know, am I really worried about you know, a single hacker alone in their house breaching my network and really, you know, getting to this level of attack not really what i'm really worried about and what you know american companies are worried about is what are the nation states doing you know, yeah. what if we go and get into a cyber war what if you know 
you are in negotiations with a country to you know, provide a product or to do services or you know, to drill for natural gas or oil and you get in a disagreement and instead of you know, coming back to the table, they hit you with ransomware and say, you either agree to the deal that we want to do or we're not going to ever give you the key. So you, with the world changing and being the way that it is, we had to come up with a solution in a way to really, you know, have some chance to prevent that, right? Yeah, what really has stood out to me in what I've been learning from you guys in our preparation for this, and this is where I constantly want you guys to recheck me, but it's this notion that I was always used to thinking of security and and, and whenever I think anything security related, it's usually around defense. It's like, how do I identify and how do I stop bad things from happening and then one thing that I maybe as a generalization is not the whole thing about cyber resilience, but it's huge to me personally, is this notion of thinking about how does the business op assume that something is happening, take a specific incident, and then say, here's your, here's your scenario, this happens, now what do you do? Because I feel like those are the hard questions to answer that if you aren't programmatically addressing these things in advance, then you run the risk of being forced to do them uh, in response, which means you're doing them during a crisis and it means you're losing money at a rapid rate. Um, Dominic, I'm curious, uh, when you look at the trends of where security has been, where this has emerged and where it all fits, uh, are there specific trends and reasons why, uh, companies, uh, should be paying more attention to these kind of strategies and really having this on their, on their bucket list? Yeah, I would say, you know, with the advent of more increased remote work with COVID-19, we've seen cyber attacks increase at a rapid rate. And, you know, from my perspective, you know, I'm a traditional data protection backup and recovery guy. And most of my customers will say, hey, I've got backups. I've got offsite replication. Why I'm protected against ransomware, right? And the answer really is no, because the threats are very different, right? So when we think about traditional DR, you know, maybe a, a fire system goes off in your data center and, and takes out a rack of servers and you're recovering that. But these cyber attacks are usually very targeted and they, and they branch out, right? So from a, from a data protection standpoint, I'm focused on the worst case scenario, right? So we have guys like Chris and Richard focusing on keeping the attackers out, policies, technologies to enable that. You know, the, from a data protection perspective, we're trying to understand, okay, we've been hit. How do we recover? From, from those events. And I think the idea of, you know, having a solution that's isolated off your network, you know, only taking in replication certain times a day, right? That's immutable, right? So your backup images aren't changing. And then a level of intelligence, because the reality is, is that, you know, you're going to get hit with ransomware, you're going to get hit with malware. And if a, a system in your production environment gets hit with that, it's going to end up in your backup environment as well. So having some intelligence, some analytical layer to interrogate the backups, understand, okay, well, today is March 3rd. It looks like our backups are clean as of March 2nd. We can recover from there. If you don't have that layer, you're just kind of randomly restoring and hoping that the backups are clean. And how much can you really prepare in advance in these kind of situations? Can you, can you accurately simulate various worst case scenarios and practice your response to these things? Is that uh, not unreasonable to expect, Dominic? No, and I would say that everybody should do it because, you know, if you have to recover in one of these scenarios, your your company's reputation, your, your business and livelihood are at stake, right? So it's about understanding, you know, what are those key applications that if we do get hit, right, what does our business run on? So what servers make them up? What applications make up make them up? 
and then testing the recovery from the backups. Absolutely. Yeah. That's very critical. I feel like we're getting back to that whole thing that we're always preaching, which is everyone needs to understand what their network is made up of, where the data resides, how important is the data. So how you kind of map this stuff against business priorities, because this feels like it really maps heavily back into the business. So Chris, I'm curious, have is there a struggle to understand? I, I feel like I fall into the trap of wanting a technology answer for everything. And that's probably because most of my technology background is with a vendor where sure. I could usually convince you that all you were just one, you're just one piece of hardware away from Nirvana. Uh, but this is not, no matter what someone says, do, is that something we need to watch for, which is not thinking of this as purely a technology type of problem that needs to be addressed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every organization needs to understand what level of risk they're currently operating at. So not only from a programmatic standpoint, but also from a technological standpoint, they need to conduct risk assessments. And candidly, a lot of people don't go through that rigor of knowing what levels of risk they're operating at. And that's basic step number one. You have to know the fundamental. And once you have a good understanding from there, then you can continue to build out your overall program and your overall cyber resiliency capabilities. Well, I've worked with, in various scenarios with different customers through worldwide technology over the years and past projects. And if I was to characterize, cause you guys are big enough to where I'm sure you see the gamut of mature security op security oriented operators who are maybe even pushing you a little bit in different things or questioning you about things that you haven't heard from other customers all the way to, and it doesn't matter the size of the business in my experience, but others that are kind of still with their head in the sand, they're hoping things don't go wrong and kind of banking on that. And then, you know, you might be helping them out. Now you get the phone call after they're already need help digging out, I would assume. Um, are there risks, and I'll throw this out to anybody, but are there specific risks that you find that people are not, or organizations are not considering enough or maybe not thinking broadly enough? Because to a certain extent, I want to broaden this up and make sure we understand the full impact of what's really being spoken about here, because it's not, you're not talking about a specific piece of malware but you're really talking about the whole gamut of response uh, all the way through to response reaction and, and so forth. Keep with the design towards how quickly can we get the business back up into ideal operational state. But are there risks that you guys see come up uh, more often than not that people are failing to recognize? Yeah, I can just jump in first and obviously they'll have Dom and, and Richard out on top of this. But as you probably have heard on previous Tech 37 episodes, the first thing you need to understand is visibility. Like what's on my network. Okay. And if you don't have a good inventory of what you have, you really can't advance your overall security program. So that's the basics and that has to happen. Number one, the other thing I want to mention here, and I heard you talk about it just a few minutes ago is just around awareness and conducting exercises. Okay. So we, you know, we talked about in rehearsal of this episode around tabletop exercises Yeah. and that people simply don't do them enough, whether it's around disaster recovery, business continuity, or even incident response. Can you define tabletop though, for just a moment, just because anyone's in security is probably familiar with it, but if, if you've not touched on it, it's a valuable exercise, but how, how do you explain what a tabletop exercise is? Sure. You, you gather key stakeholders from an organization across okay. cyber IT applications, and you bring them into a room, sit around a table and have somebody at the top talk about different scenarios and how are they going to respond to that scenario? So whether it's a ransomware attack, a nation state attack, or maybe they're seeing some other form of anomaly on their network, how are they going to respond to that? 
And what are the steps are they going to take? And are they following the documented plan that the organization put in place? It's a great exercise to do. It's inexpensive to do it. Just not everybody does it enough. And I think it's always amazing what you learn in those type of things. But I am curious, do you have to have a documented plan before the tabletop exercise or does one kind of lead to the other or help strengthen the other? Does it go kind of in a, because I would imagine plans constantly change as the same way networks are constantly changing. It's just something that kind of has to be rather dynamic, right? Yeah, it's, it's a good way to evaluate the strength of your overall plan that you have. So as you go through these, and if you contract a third party to come in and help run that, someone like Worldwide or others, then they can evaluate on a maturity level how well they did, and then you can strengthen the overall program. So it's you bring much up, better, yeah, go ahead. It's much better to find out that you have a gap during a tabletop exercise than it is to figure out you have a gap and you're being attacked, right? Yeah. You, they go hand in hand, right? Because even the, the best made plans, the best made procedures, they're going to change. Technology is going to change. And if you're not doing tabletops and you're not testing them and you're not keeping up with them, when you go to pull that dusty procedure off the shelf when something's real, it's not going to work, right? So they're kind of really invaluable with kind of the overall process and procedures. Yeah. Because again, you know, we don't just need to look at this as a security play and as a data protection play. It's also got governance and procedures from a business perspective you really have to put a program wrapped around it to do it right. Meaning you know, we can't just put technology and put this great backup and recovery and security and with automation and AI and say, oh, you're good. Well, are you? Yeah, prove it. <laughs> yeah, well, let me ask you about the right people that are involved because what I had in my notes is this notion, and I think I stole this from one of uh, Chris Conrad's articles, and I'm always hammering on this, but guys, if I think anyone watching the live stream is probably already registered on the platform at WWT.com, but I encourage everyone to do that because it is a way to interact with people like yourselves as well as be uh, easy access to the various programs, uh, labs, and so forth, and articles that you guys are, are, I don't know if they make you put them out or you guys are just all enjoy writing. But um, either way, I appreciate it. Um, but there was this notion of a cyber resilience plan and one of the first things, and this has been mentioned by all of you uh, to a various degree, but let me ask you, this is not something that IT is responsible for. It's not something security is responsible for, right? Who needs to be, who needs to be involved in, in creating a proper cyber resilience plan? Dominic. Yeah, there are, there are many aspects of the organization that need to be involved. Yeah. And as, as you've heard, security is everybody's responsibility. It's not just the CISO's responsibility, but it starts there. They need to understand board level objectives and concerns. CEOs need to be involved in this. COOs need to be involved with this. CFOs from a financial standpoint need to be involved in it. So it is certainly a C-suite topic for sure. Yeah, do you guys find that that some customers aren't aware? You know, how many customers, let me ask it this way. Um, how many customers are can easily say, these are my most important assets and this is how much it costs me if I don't have access to them? I'd say very few in the conversations that I have, yeah. you know, most are unaware. And I think that's one of the things with a good cyber resiliency strategy is, you know, it really takes, you know, Chris mentioned at the executive level, but on the street, you know, it's the data protection backup team, it's the storage team, security, network security, right? It really requires kind of breaking down those traditional silos that we see IT 
and kind of bring everybody together. Because for these plans to be really successful and programmatized, every stakeholder needs to be involved. Yeah. Well, I like and I'm reminded every time I've talked to you, Dominic, and it's just kind of as rich as Richard's saying, you know, you need to find out what that gap is before you're in that crisis mode. Um, I remember finding out the hard way that it wasn't enough. I was very proud of myself personally for doing my backups. This is a long time ago, but doing my backups. I'm like, I'm doing my backups. I'm, you know, back when backups weren't as simple to do as they are now. But, and this is just on an individual basis, but what I didn't do and didn't realize until I was in my own version of crisis mode is that I'd never tested the backups. I didn't. I didn't know how to rest, I didn't know how to restore and get back up and running when I needed to, and that was a critical step for me. I wasn't full circle on this, and I didn't, and I wasn't in the right frame of mind personally when it came to that point because now I was frantic, and um, you know other things were worrying me about that. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, as is moving forward to the plan. Um, I had this notion: we need the business teams, we need IT, we need security, and it seems like when you're all around the table. You need this because you're not only talking about a given scenario and then what are the cascading set of responses, but I would imagine things are learned about from each group about what this is costing us or why something won't work. Because I can always see, it seems like someone always says, well, this is what we have to do. And then someone else goes, well, you can't because of this, you know, and they wouldn't have realized that unless everybody was together. But it does feel like the overall lesson, this feels like a very top-down ownership uh, type of environment because it crosses these silos. Is that something customers are going to be able to do very easily um, is get disparate groups that don't normally work together to be able to communicate with a focus? Or is that why you need executive sponsorship? Is that where that need comes from? Yeah, Richard, do you want to Richard, yeah. Yeah, sure. So, Having, having a, a C-level stakeholder or a, you know, executive vice president stakeholder is, you know, key to success for that exact reason, right? When you have all the teams that you know, really need to come together to, to do and plan and you really understand what, you know, what the requirements are, you know, what does cyber resiliency for, you know, customer XYZ really need to look like, you know, what is the real impact? To get that get that conversation flowing, you know, it's not really a natural conversation, right? You have the teams that are responsible for the day-to-day -day operations of the system. You have the teams that actually run those applications. And then you have their internal customers, which are the end users, right? Which may be those same executives, which may be those different teams. When you go and ask each group, what is your most cyber critical app? What's the thing that would be the worst for you to lose? What would be the most impactful? They will all give you a different answer. And it's because they all look at the business in a very different way. Yeah. So using that as a strength, that's how we can go in and sit down with you know, these different teams and figure out, okay, what are the things that they're saying that they have in common, right? What are the, the same applications that may be coming up, you know, across multiple teams from different, you know, different areas, right? Those are the kind of things that we want to start looking at because yes, there are going to be some major, you know, important tier zero, tier one applications and everybody in that company is going to know what they are, but it's also going to be the ones that may not just jump out at you that are going to come out through that kind of facilitated discussion. So when you have executive sponsorship, when you have a C-level or when, when it's a board priority, which we're seeing more and more and more, as you know, that becomes part of stock evaluation, as that becomes part of your, you know, your risk evaluation. You know, the big consulting firms 
are going to ask, do you have a cyber resiliency plan? If you don't, they're going to tell you, you need to go get one, right? Interesting. So as we see those things emerge, we're starting to see teams come together more than they ever have. And I think, you know, if it's done right, the outcome is uh, very, very positive and very good for the business, right? Because if we, if we in IT can truly understand how to align with the business, that's the best place we can be, whether it's, you know, my team from a, you know, supporting our customer perspective, or even the customer supporting the customer, right? It's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Good. I'll just kind of add one thing here, Rob, too, is that just from a from a global financial standpoint, you know, auditors now are looking at to see what type of resiliency programs you currently have in place. And there are FFIEC guidelines talking specifically about what organizations need to be doing. And most organizations that I'm talking to will have a finding. They call it an MRA, a matter requiring attention, that they have to go address their cyber resiliency capabilities. So it's definitely out there. An MRA. Okay. There's another acronym I hadn't had uh, before. But Matt, yeah, I'm going to use that with my kids. These, this stuff needs your attention. We need to get you, uh, we need to file this right away. Um, what? Because I was wondering, you know, what do you, how do you show that you've got a plan in place? Is it literally, um, well, you know what? Let's do it in this context. You guys have have uh, have taken Richard. I believe it is proper to credit you with having been down this path with multiple customers, um, and you've also become because I've heard it from multiple places, kind of the go-to person for people within worldwide asking for your input with their customers because they're either getting drawn in or they've kind of pitched what you've been doing, and people are like, "Yeah, we need this." And of course, as Dominic mentions, this has become a um, something that that. You know, there's a uh, compliance and regulatory concerns that are going to pull you in no matter what, especially depending on certain industries. Um, but so but you guys have begun to formalize this a long time ago before I was well before I was aware of the terminology worldwide, uh, as you guys will do, have been templatizing an approach to help other customers through this um, in a consistent manner. Can you speak a little bit about what you guys have, have been doing and what's available? And I'll bring up the cyber resilience page here in just a moment. But um, tell us a little bit about what, what resources are offered to kind of simplify or make this make this more digestible because it feels like a big thing to address. Sure. So really four and a half, almost five years ago, I had a customer, one of their you know, executive vice presidents stopped me in a hallway and said, hey, I have a question for you. What do you know about cyber resiliency? And I said, well, you know, I know that there's one OEM that kind of has this pitch deck and everybody considers it to kind of be, you know, out there. Maybe it's, you know, kind of a, a big sales play or maybe they're ahead of the time, but it seems kind of odd. But you know what? Let me let me go ask some more people around worldwide and let me get some opinions and let me, you know, let me see what they say. And he said, mm -hmm. okay. So I went and did some discovery internally. I talked to you know Chris's practice from the security side. I talked to Dominic's team from a, a you know backup and hosting side, and they both kind of said, "Well, you know, we've heard a little bit about it, and you know that's kind of it." And so it kind of started to think, "Well, maybe this customer is just super paranoid." Right. And then literally two days later, another customer just said, "Hey, I have a question for you. What do you know about cyber resiliency?" And so. <laughs> After getting two questions, I thought, okay, I'm going to go see what I can find. I'm going to go get on Google and I'm going to go, what's out there, right? How do you approach this? How do you start this? 
And when I started going to the usual places like Gartner or like NIST, where you know I could get unbiased answers, I could get, you know, here's the concept, here's what you're yeah. trying to do. I started to realize it wasn't out there. There wasn't good information on what cyber resiliency really is yeah. and what you really need to you know do to approach it. So what I started doing is looking at you know, what are the projects that we worldwide were doing as a whole, right? You know, what were the major security projects? What were the backup and recovery projects? What were some of our more strategic customers doing? And what I realized is you know, we were doing all of the things that it takes to really put together a good cyber resiliency program. Yeah. We just had never wrapped our arms around it and said, okay, I'm going to make this a single engagement and bring in all these teams together and we're going to address it at once, right? Um, so we put together kind of a, this is how we would approach it. And we have you know, great people in security, we have great people in compute, great people in virtualization, great people in cloud, you know, great people in data protection. So I have all the SMEs at the table right then and there. And we were able to work with this very first customer starting four and a half years ago to address you know, this is how they would deal with malware. Because right. you know, everything that they found, you know, they found the same research that we did. It would point to, you know, oh, do an air gap copy of your backups. You know, store your backups this way. Or you know, this vendor has a product. This vendor has a product, and that customer said, you know, I've had the product pitch from all of these vendors. They all kind of you talk about, oh, let me store your backups another way. Right. Well, if I do the math, I can't recover fast enough. By the time I get the data back that I need, we'll be out of business. You know, we need help. So that's really how it started. And then from talking to you know Chris and talking to Dominic, what we realized kind of as we started down that road is this isn't a one-off. Yeah. This is going to be something that we think is coming. So we started kind of planning ahead and building, you know, how do you approach this? How do you even start the conversation, right? A lot of times we get brought into a customer that's been researching this for six, seven, eight, nine months. They've okay. met with 12 or 13 vendors and they're still sitting there going, I don't know how to start this or I don't know where to go from here. And so what we really did was build out this framework, build out this approach where you know, we can take what we've learned across you know, global files, across you know, the energy sector across uh, the you know, telcos, the service providers, you know, you name it, we have such a diverse customer base, we can take all those skills and really develop and deliver this holistic approach that is solely focused on, you know, what do you need, Mr. Customer, from mm -hmm. a business perspective? What are your requirements? You, instead of here, let's change your environment so that my product works. Yeah. Let's have a business focused conversation and say, you, what does the business need to make it through this? Meaning, you know, this could be how the business stays in business if they you know, suffer one of these attacks. And if from that, what we developed is kind of a, a four phased approach that we use to kind of start the conversation at the business level and let the business requirements you drive where we're going to go from a technical level. And uh, I think it's it's worked really well. Well, I love that statement you made at the beginning of this, where you talk about how you're looking around and you go, wait, we've got all the right ingredients. 
to create this because you do have the storage experts. You have the, the, um, uh, you have all the different vendors that would have been, that are out pitching maybe a one trick pony and magic bullet type stuff. They're probably partners with you because they do provide good stuff. It's just not the complete answer. What a business is looking for in the spirit of what's really here is about how do we stay in business and how do we, how do we get back and going as fast as possible? One question on that, and we'll end with these resources. I've pulled up the webpage. Obviously we've got the link there showing on screen. We'll also have links below, uh, including links to some articles that you guys have written that I highly recommend. I personally use them for research in this and to understand it better. Uh, do you find customers come in and when they are being exposed to uh, what they could do or should do or something along there, I would imagine that there's probably sometimes there's got to be there's situations where there's more that should be or could be done than they can afford to do at that moment. But they're at least starting to address where to make their investments based on actual business priorities versus uh, just kind of shooting in the dark. Is, is that an, is that an expected outcome sometimes is finding out there's more that you need to do? Yes. So I, I think, and you know, Chris and, and Don can speak to this as well. You know, I think when you start to look at the complexity of this, when you start to look at the scale of what this really means, this is unlike you know, really any strategic project that most of these companies have actually ever done, right? Because yeah. the, the scale at which you may have to recover from is not something that people ever thought would really happen. You know, when you look at you know, the Fortune 10 or the, the Global 5s, and you look at you know, how big is their global footprint, how big is their network, you know, what's all attached to that. And then you think about, you know, for them, you know, the Fortune 10, these large enterprises, they've never been in a scenario where if you had malware that spread across your entire global footprint and you woke up the next morning and you have nothing, none of them were prepared to answer how you recover from that because everybody always made the assumption that you would have, you know, a directory server in this country that wasn't affected, or you, know, you would be able to recover from this. Well, you know, from that, it, it really showed to be successful and do this, you have to come together as an IT org, which most companies haven't ever done it at this scale, right? And Chris and Dom can both speak to it. You know, I think what we do well is knowing what our peers do well, and bringing the right people to the table so that you know I can bring the customer security team in with the storage team, with the compute team, with the application team, and have a holistic conversation where we're not just talking about you know the data. We're not just talking about you know securing the backups. We're talking about you know, here's how we holistically approach this. And you know, here's the governance and processes we need to develop. You know, and fall kind of around the world to make you successful. And here's how you, you know, here's how you get started. And here's how we finally, you know, help you define the scope, right? Because it's so big, it is a challenge to get your, your mind even wrapped around you. Know, what does this really mean? Right. Yeah. Well, you guys have been down this road with multiple customers. So I think that's a huge value first and foremost, because uh, you're seeing some of those things repeated. And yeah, I think getting started sometimes is the hardest step. And Dominic, just thinking about some of the stuff that you've dealt with from a storage perspective, I live in Texas and this wasn't a security event per se, but the electrical grid failure that we had here and how uh, I know of one customer, one very large customer, I can't name specifically that had two 
technically, from a spec perspective, two geographically redundant data centers that were still both in Texas um, that were dealing with the fact that even though they had multiple grids, they had multiple ways of, of electricity coming in, and of course they have diesel, but you know they had different questions to answer that uh, I'm not sure, and I don't know for sure that they had ever really ever considered. You know, and, and suddenly this ice storm and everything with it gave us a whole new set of things to worry about as our as our ability to imagine the worst case scenario starts to play out in different ways. And and, and we learned that here in Texas, we're hosting data centers for uh, companies in California and, and Florida. And if those don't fail over the way we anticipated that they would, companies well outside of the affected area suddenly are having issues and need to have plans for addressing that. Uh, Dominic, um, any last words from your perspective on what's important here? Yeah, I think really it goes back to understanding the business requirements, right? Because there's different costs associated with quicker recovery, right? So you may say these particular applications need to be recovered in two hours. That's going to cost a lot more than if the application needs to be recovered in 20 hours. So understanding the the criticality of the applications and then the technology will follow behind it. And I guess the best advice I could give is to take action. A lot of times we see customers where these type of initiatives are stuck or they're not taking place because they don't know where to start. That's not uncommon, right? So it certainly can reach out to us worldwide, right? We work with all these different verticals. They're very effective at kind of bringing these different groups together in IT. Yeah, I like the fact that anything that comes up, there's going to be an expert right around the corner, uh, physically or virtually, uh, that you guys have that you can pull into a conversation to say, hey, how do we handle this scenario uh, at this aspect? Well, Chris, I think it was something I picked up out of one of your articles Um but I like this notion of kind of a four-phase plan that was outlined that you guys take customers through from discovery and assessment um, that potentially has to have some of the right people involved, certainly, but it, maybe it's a way to dip your toe into the water before you get into full multi-day workshops that probably do involve all those multiple parties that you help people understand who needs to be there from their specific area to actually having some specific outcomes around low-level designs uh, and through to implementation, whether or not you guys are involved in the implementation or you're just providing remote guidance because they've got a fully equipped team, you guys can scale that uh, both vertically and horizontally. Um, Yeah, any, any last thoughts on what's important and next steps someone should be taking here? I'll just go back to something I said earlier in the, in the session is just really understanding what levels of, of risk you're operating at. Yeah. And so, and if your last assessment really did not go into the depth of looking at your resiliency efforts, make sure that's included going forward. Cause it's more than disaster recovery. It's more than business continuity. Did your last security assessment that you had, does it address the cyber resiliency capabilities and, and add that to that? And then certainly worldwide can help from a variety of different areas, from ideation sessions and briefings and workshops to leveraging Dominic and his team of doing proof of concepts in our lab. So that's where I would start. Perfect. Well, you guys give me so much more to think about too. And Dominic, I love that point because I wish I'd brought it up earlier. But the whole notion of not just evaluating based on business priority, but business priority against time it takes because time and money, you know, there's that triangle of things is that, well, sure, I can do this quickly or slowly. It just one costs something different. And, but that becomes an important calculus to, to figure out in these situations. And it's going to be a different answer for everybody you guys have experience helping people answer those questions. Just going to pop over here and encourage everyone to check out the Cyber Resilience page that's got links to resources, walks through some of this. If you're not already a member, you need to join up with www.com so you can get access to these resources. And then all you have to do at any point in time, I'm just going to do it here, but just click on, um, now watch, it's not working for me, of course. I've got the page up. I don't know why my mouse, I think it's because I'm at an odd angle. 
but you can get to events, both Tech 37, but that's, this is not the only thing worldwide, obviously, is constantly putting out either video, audio, uh, papers across certain topics. I encourage you, even if you're not getting hands-on with the labs and remote labs you can do, there's a ton of value with just taking a topic and putting it in that search bar and saying, what are these guys doing around this or, or who's talking about it? And you start to meet the experts and you can actually friend them within the uh, platform here and kind of keep up uh, with various people. Like I, it's like, I, I don't know how much he's on there. I'm not going to test it now, but Richard, uh, Richard probably didn't have time to be posting too much based on what I'm hearing is his workload. But um, either way, you got great knowledge to share. I appreciate all of you taking the time to share it here on tech 37. And to those of you watching us from home, I always appreciate you watching. Please continue to tune in. Please reach out to these guys. Make this process simpler. Don't waste any more money taking time to do it. There's not supposed to be an infomercial, but I honestly feel this is one of those things where a helping hand is exactly what is needed uh, to keep this in the right direction. So you're not operating from a point of crisis, but you're actually on top of things ahead of time, and you can prove it when asked. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. And to y'all, we'll see you on the next one. Take care.